that has been passed down. My grandmother gave, as before she passed away, she handed out her jewelry to the granddaughters and to the boys. They did different stuff. And she gave me a lot of opals. Opal's my birthstone, and her my granddad had given her different types of jewelry over the years. And I thought, oh, it's beautiful, but I will never wear it because it's sure not current style, and I'm not going to wear it. And so this has been sitting in my drawer since before she passed away, or since she passed away. And I was going, okay, I want to pass this on, but not sure how. So I went to Design House, which is located in Saronia. They will take your jewelry. They will melt down the gold. You basically end up paying them for their labor. Uh, but you already have the stones. You've already got the gold or whatever your jewelry may be. And I'm having rings made for our granddaughters. We have three granddaughters. So that when they turn 16, and two of them are nearly there, um, they'll have a ring that they will wear that's a current style, um, some other things. So have it remade. Yes, it's going to cost you some money, but it is a great way to pass it on uh, and see them wear it now. So instead of keeping jewelry that means nothing to them, they have no history of it, have it remade. Have it remade. Make a pin, make a, you know, whatever, a ring, a necklace. Um, and it's not that expensive as you're going to a jewelry store to buy it all completely. Uh, because you're already got the jewels and the gold for the most part. Sorry, I forgot that. Technology. Um, our three kids, one thing is pictures. Your family does not want all your hundreds of pictures, and that is how technology comes in. In 2010, Mac and I took a 40th anniversary uh, retirement five-week road trip. And, of course, we had hundreds of pictures. We, were, we drove from basically Waco to the Pacific Coast through way of Spokane, met up with our kids, drove to the Pacific, and then came back. We just made a huge loop. And so I had lots of pictures. Well, the kids don't want that, and there's so many companies out there. And so Olivia, my daughter-in-law, is very into this stuff. And so she put all of our pictures together and made a book. And the kids love grandkids to go through and look at the pictures, but they are not going to flip through an album and have to take the pictures out to see what's under them. Now, where was this taken from? So books is a great, and there's Shutterfly and Pics, and there are so many companies out there. And guys, this is not my forte. I don't like to sit there and do that, but I have a daughter-in-law who does. But we have college kids here at Highland. For a fee, they will put you together a great book. We have great resources. Some of you are probably very talented at this. Um, my, all of our grandkids knew my grandparents. They're great-grandparents. Uh, they were way up in their 90s. Mammy loved to cook. And so this past Christmas, I had a bunch of her recipes that I had kept from mother that she had kept. And so um, I sent, and my daughter-in-law did this for me too. So I sent her a bunch of the recipes that Mammy had done, and it ended up being more because she had to rewrite them. But we saw Mammy's actual handwriting. It's the actual recipe that she had handwritten down and some of the things that they had she had made for them, and then different pictures of them with Mammy and Granddad. And the kids loved it. The, my um, nieces and nephew wrote me and said, oh, thank you for Mammy's recipes. What a great way to pass on. And guys, I can get rid of that whole box now of Mammy's recipes that they are not going to go through. Um, if you have a bunch of pictures, family, make copies of them, give them away. 
Okay, we did this, found some really great cousin, aunt and uncle's pictures. And so at Christmas, uh, a couple of years ago, we had copies made. They're like three cents a copy if you go to Walgreens. Make them, give them away to them. Let them clutter their house, and you don't have to keep on to that. And I don't know how many of you have VHS tapes of family vacations, different things. Um, this was a um, 1995. Aaron was um, looking at colleges, and he had decided he wanted to go visit University of Washington, of, of um, West Virginia, sorry. University of West Virginia, he had it in his mind he was going to go play soccer for them. Well, we went to the campus and found out that was not going to happen. Uh, but while we were there, we had a big family trip in West Virginia, and we did horseback riding, bike riding, and whitewater rafting. And so we had videos made, and of course you were able to buy them. Nobody plays these anymore, but I knew our kids would want would want a memory of that. And so I went to Double Tape here in Waco, and I said, you know, would you make a DVD of this? And they do all kinds of stuff. And he said, you sure you want a DVD? And I said, well, what else? And he said, that's now old school. What you do is a thumb drive. And he said, you put it on a thumb drive, all they have to do is put it in their computer or to, the, or to their TV now, and this is the new thing. So CDs and DVDs are going by the way of the the cassettes and everything else and so they copied this and so all the kids got one of these for Christmas the grandkids loved watching it they could plug it into their computer and watch you know as their dads and our mom got thrown out of the boat or whatever and so thumb drives and thumb drives hold pictures they you can put thousands of things on a thumb drive that does not take up much room very quick Um, the other thing, um, if you have a lot of history, family pictures, there are all kinds of books like this. This is Conversations with My Mother. We have one from Matt, Conversations with My Father. And going through and keeping pictures, you know, of stuff. So I'm going to, this is copyrighted. You cannot copy this book, but the pictures and the answers to the questions are yours. And so I'm going to give this to Olivia. She's going to rewrite some of the questions and scan it and make a book for all the kids. And so we've gone through and put pictures and different things. And it will be a way for them to keep some family history without having all the tubs and buckets of pictures. We all have pictures, but I will assure you, nobody wants to keep them after that. Um, real quick, um, close, close books. Books have no value as much as I would love for them to. Um, and they can take up a lot of room. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. They take up lots of room. There's no value. And if it's not something you're reading or your kids want, get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Um, there are, if you have furniture, if you're paying storage rent for furniture, get rid of it because your kids don't want it now. They're not going to want it in the next 10 years. You know, they're just not going to want it. Uh, you all know about Goodwill. You know about Salvation Army. Um, Antioch has a, a program called Love on Locals. Travis McWhorter, who grew up here, runs it. They're having a huge garage sale in May, and they work with the homeless, but it's mainly homeless who are wanting to get out of that environment. And they raise this money, and they they 
they train these people, they give them marketable skills, teach them how to live and provide for their family. And so um, that's a good one. First Baptist Waco uh, collects furniture for students, uh, married students that have no money and have no furniture. And so every year they can come and get a certain amount of furniture. So that's another good place to give it. Jesus said love. There's lots of people who will take furniture just besides Goodwill and Salvation Army. Um, the other thing, and this is the last point, point five, update your house. Now, I don't mean a complete remodel, but when we had, Mother's house was only 12 years old when she passed away and Daddy had already passed away. But there was still things. We had a week to not only clear out her house, but to fix it up and try to sell it before we all left the <laughs> left Missouri. And um, there were some small repairs, but we had to do, and we had a lot of help. But if there are m minor things that you can do, especially if your kids are not, if they don't live here, if they're not going to be living in your home, make it marketable for them to be able to sell. Um, if you, in An easy way to do this and start with the decluttering, take a room at a time. Start with an easy room. I, I'm a checkoff list person. And so start with one room. Um, top to bottom, does it need to be painted? Does it need new carpet? Does it need new doorknobs? You know, just simple things. I'm not talking about, you know, gutting your house and starting over. But the more marketable your house is, it'll be so much easier if it requires a lot of upkeep or updating and just fixing up. They're going to give you a bottom price because they know they're going to, who's ever buying it will go in going, we're going to spend these many thousands of dollars fixing it up. But it's also, as you're going through looking at things that need to be repaired, great way to declutter. So go through your closets, go through the drawers, do a room at a time. It's easier. You don't get overwhelmed. Start with an easy one. It doesn't matter where you start, whatever works with your personality. Um, but it's an easy way to start updating and also decluttering. So have a good afternoon. Uh, rest of the morning, we have lots of information. Sorry, Reuben, did I take... I know I took my, more than my time. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Judy. That was great. I'm going to be sharing uh, a testimony from John and Donna Jacobs. Could you two raise your hands? John's over there behind the board. Donna's over here. Donna's throat is bothering her a little, so... I'm going to share their story <clears throat> of how they downsized. Uh, three and a half years ago, John and Donna, they retired and they moved to Waco from Chicago. But let me just say, Chicago's a big city. They were in a small town. In fact, when I first met them at a new members class, I was amazed that they were from Johnsburg. John from Johnsburg. That's pretty easy to remember. It's a small little town. It's right on the, the Fox River, and I spent fourth grade there. So when I found out that they were from Johnsburg, they spent 43 years there in Johnsburg. And they raised four children who played every sport and were involved, as she writes, in too many things. Donna is sentimental, so she kept a lot of their papers in boxes. And their home had a basement, an attic, and a storage area. So they had room for all the goodies. 
She was raised by her grandmother who moved in with them later in life, and they took care of her until she passed away. Donna had a lot of her possessions, which means more boxes. In her mother's later years, they built an apartment onto their home, and she lived there until she passed, and it also was full. She was a very neat and clean hoarder. More boxes. Hallelujah. Through the years, Donna often gave things away because they were blessed and others were in need. But she was emotionally tied to the items in the boxes. And when her mother passed away, she started purging. She knew that when they retired, they would leave Illinois and downsize and move to Texas. Yay! Her mother's favorite charity was an organization called Home of the Sparrow, which supported abused women and children for their county. So Donna gave them furniture, clothing, and kitchen items, and kept only the sentimental items in the boxes. Donna worked in a high school guidance office, so she had a social worker, psychiatrist, and behavioral specialist who helped her walk through the emotions of trying to get rid of things that meant a lot. So Donna wants to leave with us today four things, four helpful points that helped her and John in their decluttering process of downsizing. First lesson, her expert friends told her to keep the top five things that bring her the best memory of that person. Only five. Donna gave items to people she knew who would appreciate them. She gave to charities, and when their children visited, they were given two large plastic bins and told to go through their items and whittle them down to two smaller bins. And they had a lot of fun talking about memories together. The second lesson, if it's emotional, but you know you need to get rid of it, take a picture of it. She has an hour a folder in, in, the, in the cloud or iCloud with a lot of pictures. So take photos of things you won't use before you give them away. Pictures help us remember the special times. The third lesson, if you do not use it or it has not been on display in your home, do not keep it. Give it away. Donna now has no boxes in her home except those with holiday decorations. Hallelujah. Yeah. What an accomplishment. The fourth lesson she wants to leave us with. If you just move something from place to place or box to box, give it to someone who can use it or throw it out. Because all you're doing is moving it around. It's not making headway. It's not easy to get rid of mementos, but someday we'll walk on the streets of gold and we cannot take our things with us. Downsizing is a labor of love, which we do for our loved ones, our children. They should not have to go through all our things. Donna asked the Lord what she should keep, and he helped her with memories which led to priorities. Only once did she give something away that she wished that she had kept. 
That's pretty amazing. Only once in all the things of the accumulation of life. Donna and John have asked their children and their grandchildren what they want of their things. And the kids have picked certain items in their home. And she cleans those items now. And now it makes Donna happy to know that the children will be getting them. But their oldest son cannot even talk about their death. So they've already assigned him things that he already likes. He's got some good surprises for him. This process does not need to be sad or overwhelming because death is a fact of life. And preparing for this is wise. It's to our wisdom. Donna has a paper that says who will get what. She also has a video of every item in the rooms of the house explaining the mementos, who they belong to, and why she kept them. Her children can listen to the video and read the paper and then decide what they want or do not want. The paper and the videos are all in the iCloud storage rather than in their basement. Of course, since they've moved to Texas, there are no basements in Texas. It's taken Donna years to get to this point. She would get overwhelmed at times and honestly have to stop sorting. But she says that it is an enjoyable process because it's accomplishing something not only for yourself to draw a place of conclusion, but it also is a place of blessing those we love when we pass on. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, John. I'd like to introduce you to my mother. This is Marion McElroy. Many of you know her. Most of you know her. And she's been downsizing, I think, most of my life. Okay, it's good to be here. I'm going to say two funny things. <clears throat> it is weird being the same age as old people. <laughs> but this is my favorite. I thought growing old would take longer. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> well, um, I've been living in this verse, Ecclesiastes 3, 6. You know, what least a time for this, a time for that, a time for saving, and a time for throwing away. And it's different, and I've read three Bibles, and they're different, you know, time to keep, time to throw away, time to cast away. Anyway, so much for that. The downsizing, I've been doing that for quite a while. Um, just recently, I have five boxes on my big table. I have a big table in my office. And I have five boxes on my table for my five children, Sonia, Janet, Dale, Stephen, and Gwen. And uh, as I go through things, I put stuff in their boxes. And I've already gotten rid of one set of boxes, so I'm starting on my second set. Um, I've given away six filing cabinets. Can you believe? But I, I paid for two. Through the years, I paid for two filing cabinets. And then others I've just accumulated. People have given me filing cabinets given away all my hymn books except for two, gave away a wonderful typewriter, but when I got my computer, 
Well, then I didn't eat the typewriter. Gave that to Mission Waco. And um, the cassettes, I had lots of cassettes. Of course, that was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. And um, it was hard to throw away cassettes, but I wrote down what they were. Like, this one spoke here, this one spoke there, but I went to so many different meetings, believers' conventions and Bible, uh, James Robinson things, and special speakers, and I would take my little cassette player with me, and I'd take cassette, you know, tape it. But then I never had time to go back and listen to them <laughs> because there was something else to go on. Well, and I gave away lots of music. That's been hard to give away. Uh, it's been hard to my family that, that does music. The letters and the pictures have been my big hang-up because the letters are so interesting. I go through and read some of them before I had the computer. And one of the funniest things I read was my little granddaughter, Bethany. I had taken her to the zoo. She was only two. I don't know how much beyond two she was, but we went to the elephants. I said, Bethany, see the elephants. And she said, elephants, see Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I've given that to her before, uh, quite a while ago. But I've been going through my letters and marking them and saying, read this, read this, you know. But um, the pictures, I'm going through as many pictures as I can. I've already done that. I'm not organized enough to put the pictures in sets because I, I have multiples, you know, four or five in one picture. I think, oh, who's going to want that? But with a... Uh, th this is where the Rosses come in. I have, she wanted to write a book about me, a biography. So I've taken things to her and said, do you want this? And she looks at what she wants and then she returns it to me. So I, every time I go to the Rosses' house, I take a suitcase, little, you know, bag of stuff, a tote bag of things for her to look at. And so she's, I, I don't get rid of it. So it's either take them to her and let her decide if she wants to use it in a story or give them to my children, but I'm try I'm getting rid of those, you know, as much as I can. Uh, I I know that death is coming to me because I've played for so many funerals. I worked at Wilkerson Hatch, and then I've played funerals in, on other places, and I've gone from different churches, and uh, it's it's been a wonderful experience because I've met so many people, and uh, so I've written my own obituary. I've got that done. I've written my obituary, and uh, I'm my family's going to put it together, but I'll put in the names of all the children, the grandchildren. With the great-grandchildren, I'll just put in their first name. But it's been fun to do that because I picked out the songs I wanted, you know, and about two years ago, there was a special song. I said, Jibby, I want that one for my funeral. And then a few minutes later, there was another song that I liked real well. Jippy, I want that for my funeral. And she said, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> so we've had a good time with that. And so um, they told me to go ahead and finish what I was going to say. So the downsizing, the, the things like I gave away a love couch because it didn't fit with what I have. Giving away lots of my cooking wear because I'm not going to cook fancy stuff anymore. And... The dresses, I, I mean, I gave away all my dresses. When we went into pants, I gave away all my dresses. And so that has not been a problem for me. Just to, And I've given away most of my keepsakes. 
I've gone through my jewelry. I've gained through a lot of that away. So I'm giving away that thing. Like I say, the letters and the pictures have been my most uh, important thing to get rid of, to do. And so I want to tell you about some of the funerals that I've played because they have been such a blessing. I've played a lot of weddings too, but the funerals are more uh, more interesting, I guess. There was a man that he was a fire fireman. He wanted to be he wanted to be carried out to the uh, cemetery on a fire truck. So after the funeral, I went outside where the and they had a big truck, and they came picked up his casket, put it on top of the of the fire truck. And so he rode out to, with a, there's another fire truck too, but he rode out to the uh, cemetery on the fire truck. Um, and then the motor, there was a motorcycle. He was a um, very special person. He was a leader of the motorcycle people. And so I played for his funeral and everybody came in their black clothes, you know. And after that, they all went outside, and then it started thundering. I thought, we're not expecting rain. And it was the motorcycles. <laughs> I didn't figure that out, but it was standing room only. Um, and the Jimmy, El the Jimmy Willis funeral, you probably remember Jimmy Willis. He was one of our wonderful, part, uh, you know, movie people, picture people. And as soon as he heard about the 53 tornado, got on his motorcycle, he went down there and he took lots and lots and lots of pictures. So there was a visitation the night before and his wife and his friends had put together a wonderful visitation. They had pictures of the 53 tornado and they were all over the place and I just went around and looked at them and, and it was so interesting so to see all these pictures. And uh, I love the military funerals because I could always play all the good songs, America the Beautiful, and, uh, you know. And so I'd, I'd always fit the, the funerals with the person. If it was Army, I'd play Army song. And Air Force, I'd play the Air Force song. So one time I played the wrong song. And so the funeral director came back, that's not the song, it's the other, it's the Navy. So I was playing the Army and he said it's a Navy song. <laughs> and uh, so, and a Jehovah's Witness, I played a Jehovah's Witness funeral, and they want, they gave me the music just a minute before I was supposed to start playing. I didn't know anything. I didn't see any words I knew. I didn't see any. So I just gathered, I got out my list. It has 150 songs on it. Got out my list and started playing that, and so somebody came out. You're not playing our music. <laughs> and he was so, so I, then I switched to his, his his book, but it was hard because I didn't know what I was playing. Uh, one of them I sang at a funeral, and uh, <clears throat> this man came in, and they'd come, they'd come from all over. He's maybe a family of six people, and he was just so nervous. So I practiced with him. As I practiced, okay, I'll practice with you. And he said, and then he said, would you sing with me? I thought. So here I was playing the organ here and singing over the microphone with him. <laughs> so I did that. Uh, the saddest thing I did was I played for a wonderful wedding. And then a month later, she had some kind of a heart defect and she died a month later. That was so sad. And so I played for the wedding, months later, played the funeral. She was buried in her wedding dress. So um, let's see. 
That's all. That's all, I think. Um, I do have a blue office chair that wants to get a new home. So if anybody wants a blue office, it's for, it's for a woman. <laughs> okay. And that's all I have to say, and thank you for listening. Okay, so I want to talk to you about decluttering. If you'll pull out the green piece of paper, we're going to jump into that. Before we get to the practical side, I want to speak a little bit about spiritual decluttering. You know, it's to our wisdom to prepare for our aging and for our eventual death and eternity because this life is just a dressing room for our eternal future. And so we want to prepare ourselves for when we stand before the great white throne and we want to prepare our homes and our things and deal with all that as well. Fear has two meanings. Forget everything and run, and that's living in denial, or face everything and rise, and that's what we want to do. We want to face the fact that we're getting older, that our death is eventual unless we're all raptured together. This morning would be a good time for that because then we could all go together. But if we don't get caught up to meet him in the air, then we need to be prepared for others to deal with our things. So that's why we want to do what we can. I, I'm very grateful that my mother is working hard at this so that I'm not left with it. And by the way, when she mentions Jibby, that is my nickname. So she was referring to me there. And when she calls the Rosses, that is Reuben and me. So just in case you thought, who is she talking about? So psychologists say that we use up to 50% of our mental and emotional energy just repressing unresolved issues and inner pain. And these unhealed wounds influence us. We experience and express the pain through our emotional responses, our reactions, and our choices. Wounds in the soul will drain us of energy, strength, and initiative. And as long as we hold on to inner pain, we are not free. So we want to get rid of this. This is one of the things, one of the areas of clutter we want to get rid of is the inner clutter. We're enslaved by our hurts and our damaged emotions. We're enslaved if we are resentful and bitter and have not dealt with things through forgiveness. We, we then live brokenly and ineffectively. We seldom experience real joy and real peace. Wounded people tend to act in the present in response to the pain of the past. The hurts in their lives will show up in their words and actions. And this is basically what Jesus was saying in Matthew 12 when he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the inner man, the mouth will speak. He went on to say, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart will bring forth good things, and evil men out of the evil treasure of their hearts will bring forth evil things. So there are three things that we do with our finger. Regret will chain a person to past failures. We can repeat it, which leads to grief and becomes a cycle in our life, or we can release it allowing God's grace to free us from shame and the recurrence of a sin or a failure pattern. Part of our inner transformation and outward holiness is linked to allowing the Lord to heal us within. Wouldn't it be terrible if we spent all of our time organizing our stuff here and we die, we die and we stand before the Lord and we haven't dealt with the inner issues of our lives. We haven't dealt with our hearts. We haven't brought things to the cross that needed to be put under the blood of Jesus. 
The Lord wants to heal the broken areas of our personality. The work of atonement that Jesus accomplished on the cross was sufficient for all of our sin, and it was sufficient for all of our inner pain. We pray quickly for people for physical healing, but we need to also pray for emotional healing and mental healing and and for the integration of the personality. That's something the Lord wants to do as well. So what are signs of inner wounds? If you recognize some of these, it may be that you need to bring some of this before the Lord and do business with Him. A sense of unworthiness, anxiety, inadequacy, inferiority, insecurity, shame, guilt, bitterness. I know you can't write them all down. Just pick out a few if you want. Another one is being easily offended being angry, depressed, sad, apathetic, critical, and negative. Fears of all kinds, especially fear of shame, fear of rejection, of hurt, of ridicule, and addictions of all kinds. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever from Hebrews 13. So Jesus can heal today what was damaged yesterday, 10 years ago, and 50 years ago. And he wants to. He wants to heal the backlog of pain so that we can live fully in the present, filled with the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God. We don't want our pain from our past and our dysfunction to dictate our thoughts, our words, and our behavior. We want to be free of that so that the Holy Spirit leads us forward and we are an agent of healing and grace for other people. So now let's talk about external clutter. See, external clutter is internal clutter on display. So even before we enter this world, most of us have a lot of stuff from well-meaning family and friends. We're born into it. There was a baby shower and our parents were given a whole lot of things and a lot of these things we still keep. I have on my walls a stitchery someone did that is a prayer about me and my birth date, and it was given to mom when I was born. So we, we, part of our clutter goes all the way back to before we were born. Throughout our lives, we accumulate more until we die, and then we pass on our worldly goods to our children who already have too much stuff. We are a cluttered culture. Author Robert Greed wrote this 16 years ago. He wrote, more than 10,000 new products are introduced into the marketplace every year. And there's many more than that now. So Reuven and I know a lady who was addicted to shopping and to buying clothes. And she bought so many clothes that she filled every closet in her house. And then she began to stack the clothes on her bed, her double bed. They were stacked so high all across her bed, and she slept on the sofa. Her stuff had taken over her life. In America, we're not just consumers, we are over-consumers. When we have so much that we can't remember what we've got or where we've put it, then we have too much. And if we have to rent a storage container, then we really have too much. So what does our outer clutter reveal about our inner lives? And this is where I get up to your notes. Sometimes holding on to old things symbolizes holding on to the past. 
It prevents us from moving ahead in our lives. We hold on to the past because it may give us a sense of stability or identity. And so we keep the possessions that remind us of our former days of glory, our ribbons, our trophies, the things that made us somebody back then. But you know what? In the kingdom of God, with Jesus as our Lord, he gives us our identity. We don't need to pull our identity from our experiences of the past. Holding on to the, the belongings of deceased loved ones may reflect our guilt because we feel disrespectful if we get rid of their things. That shows we've confused the stuff with the person who owned it. You always have your memories. Well, for a while, until we lose that too. But once we lose our memories, we won't really care, right? So excessive or compulsive buying reveals boredom, anxiety, or insecurity. It can reveal an addiction for new things or a need to acquire more to fill an inner void. Getting rid of clutter will have an impact on your emotions as well as on your environment. So it's wise to declutter in stages over a period of time. And I'll say a little bit of what Judy said. Begin with a shelf. Begin with a drawer. Begin with one closet or a room. Pray before you start every session of organizing and throwing out. And I love the title of the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. So if you'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, he will help you as you get rid of things. So when deciding what to keep and what to let go, ask these questions. I have this on your list. How much time, energy, space, and money are you devoting to your old stuff? And what do these possessions contribute to your life now? What, how often do you use, enjoy, or interact with these objects? And what would happen to you if you no longer had them? So here's seven things to do as you begin. Get rid of the big things first. I'm, I'm only going to read the, the highlights here. Number two, return the borrowed things. Number three, pick up stuff off the floor. If you can't deal with it immediately, put it in a box, deal with it later because your house will look neater and that will start helping you with feeling overwhelmed. Just get rid of what's in your immediate space. Pack it away. And then have your children go through it later. <laughs> Just a little joke. Okay. Go through your closet and get rid of 10 things that you haven't worn in the last few years. Give away the clothes that don't fit. I had a friend who said, I have clothes of 10 different sizes. So when I lose weight, I've got the clothes. And all in between, until I put on weight at Christmas, I've got the clothes. But you know... Let's get rid of the things that are out of fashion, that don't really fit us, that probably were never going to be a size six again. You know, we, we can get rid of some of those things. Remove the odd socks from your drawer. I said this to Reuben this week. I said, I have three odd black socks. Do you have three odd black socks? We can match these up. But if you can't match them, just get rid of them. Get rid of the pins that don't work. Get rid of the things that you're never going to fix, the keys that don't fit anymore. We still have keys to Mother's old house in our drawer. We sold it five years ago, but we still have keys to it. I'm going to get rid of them when I get home. Clear off your desktop or your working space. Sort through the accumulated paperwork and file it, recycle it, or toss it. If you have Christian magazines and you can't bear to throw them out, bring them here to the church. 
Earmark them for me because I take them to nursing homes and they are so excited to get them. We can recycle not just in the trash, we can recycle in nursing homes with our things as well. Decluttering will take time. It'll take emotional energy. Don't leave it all to do. Don't think, okay, right now I'm only 72. I'm going to declutter when I'm 75. Go ahead and start now. Start working on it gradually. Anything that you keep that does not fit into your passion for living or give you joy will drain you. Stuff will drain you. We are made of the dust of the world, and so we are attracted to it, and it is attracted to us. And that's why we continue to have to get rid of it, because it'll pull the life out of us. We want to be filled with the life of God so we can share that with other people. We don't want to be home sorting our stuff all the time when people around us don't even know Jesus and they're going into an eternity without him. Let's be about eternal things. And if our thoughts are settled on things above then that'll help us get rid of the things below because we'll realize they are drawing our attention, they're taking our time, they're taking our energy, and it's not eternal. Let's live for what is eternal. Jesus said, do not store your things here on earth. Store them in heaven. So let's start storing more there and less here. Keep your eyes on the prize. If you're getting rid of things, it's hard. So focus on what you're going to gain by getting rid of them. For instance, if you are downsizing into a smaller home, you're probably going to gain financial freedom from debt. You're gaining a freedom to enjoy your retirement. Maybe you can travel more because your house takes less care. Maybe it's going to be um, cheaper to maintain. So you're gaining a lot by downsizing. If you sell or give away your material possessions, you'll have more time and energy to invest in what is eternal. Give to missions. Give to the needy. Sell your things. Have a garage sale and give it to the needy. You'll have time to host a Bible study. You'll have time to lead a prayer meeting. Once you part with some of your things, you'll have more time and more energy to invest in what lasts forever, and that is the Word of God and the souls of men. So... Keep ingesting the word of God yourself. Teach it to others. Invest in the hearts and lives of other people. Don't let your stuff keep you bound to this world where you cannot go, where the Lord calls you. Reuben and I were speaking, and um, we taught, we, we had come off, we were still missionaries at the time. We had come back to do some speaking in America, and we were speaking in California. And we talked a little bit about missions, about being free to go, about answering the call. The Lord calls us all to go. He says, go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Go and bear lasting fruit. And so we're all called to go to some degree. And, and we had shared about that. And a lady came up to me afterward and she said, man, I have wanted to be a missionary all my life. I've always wanted to go. I've always felt called to go. I said, why haven't you gone? She said, well, you know, I'm paying off my house and I've bought a new car and I'm paying off my car and, and I've got a new boyfriend. And I said, man, sell your car, sell your house, obey the Lord. If you feel called to go, don't let your stuff keep you here. And it doesn't mean that you always have to go overseas. Just go across the street, go next door, go to a nursing home once, once you can get in, you know, ask the Lord, where are you sending me? What can I get rid of that's holding me back so that I can run the race and finish the race and do everything that you've called me to do? 
Don't be a slave to your stuff. Be a bondservant to the Lord. Okay, let's take a 10-minute break. I think some of you would probably do good to get up, get something fresh to drink, stretch a little bit. Kay's going to take over as soon as we get back. Hey, team, if you can pull out some snacks quickly, we're going to do that. So um, if you're more comfortable wearing a mask as you move around, please feel free to do that. Lord, we receive your daughter. We thank you for sending her to us to speak words of life to us in a difficult subject. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing, for clear mind, clear thinking. I pray for us that we would have minds to understand and hearts to receive. Lord, what each of us personally need to hear, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would zero those points home to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's see. Get this right. Judy, your talk was so good. I want to bring all my pictures over to your house. And <laughs> I have a funny story to tell about Marion and my mom. My mom is sitting over there. Um, so Marion plays this beautiful music, and we love to hear her. We just love to hear whenever she plays. And so when she plays real patriotic funerals, sometimes she'll tell my mom, hey, come over and sit with me, you'll love this music. So one time my mom came to the funeral and sat on the front row right, right behind Marion so they could kind of eye each other. And, and mom was sitting there and the man next to her got up and she got up and the man started singing, you know, the Battle Hymn of the Republic and mom was singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic and then the next song came up and mom started singing with this man and it was glorious and sat down and then a little bit later Marion said, Donna, he's the soloist. <laughs> so, so she became one of the soloists. <laughs> I am so glad you guys are here today. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> not everyone gets married, not everyone has a baby, but everyone dies, and we don't talk about it. It's become kind of taboo, awkward. We, we um, avoid it. I, I taught a class on death and dying at Baylor, and that's a real conversation stopper when you tell somebody that. <laughs> so you guys get extra credit for even being here today. I just want to congratulate you for coming because it's so important. And, you know, when somebody has a baby, we talk about it, we tell about our experience, we have showers, they do Lamaze classes, and then they have the baby and there's all this excitement. Can you imagine having a baby and never having talked about it and how scary that would be? And that's what we do with death. And so we need to normalize death more. We need to talk about it. We need to celebrate the good things about it because we as Christians, it is a promotion. And we need to, you know, be comfortable talking about it, especially with our family. So that's one of the things we're going to do today. Um, I was a hospital chaplain in, uh, at Scott & White here in Waco. And what I realized is even the physicians were not comfortable talking about death or terminal illness. They were equipped and educated to fix a problem. So if they had someone had a disease, then we do these treatments. If that doesn't work, then we do this. But when they came across somebody that they were terminal and there was nothing more to do, the doctors really did not 
know what to do. They felt horribly awkward. And so I started teaching a class at Baylor called Death and Dying, and it was for pre-med students because what I wanted to do is equip these students to be able to walk with the, even the patients that had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And <clears throat> one of the things that I did with my students is um, I made them go through all the processes themselves, even though they were college students. And I made them write their own obituary, and I made them plan out in detail their own funeral. And I did get a call, uh, calls from a few of the parents asking me if that was really an assignment or if they should be worried about their child. <laughs> so one semester, it was the spring semester, I had a student, he graduated in May, and a week later he died in an automobile accident. And I was able to send his obituary and funeral that he had written to his parents. And it was such a blessing. It was such a gift to them because they were able to incorporate things that he had wanted that they never would have known about. He wanted his high school coach to speak. That was one of the things that they were able to do. So none of us know when our last day is. None of us know how long we have. And if the more we're prepared, the more we can bless our families. It's all about blessing the ones that are left behind. So we, you know, in our own families, we tend to really be awkward about it. We don't want to talk to our elderly parents about death and dying because we don't want them to think that we're thinking they're going to die. And they don't want to talk to us because they don't want to worry us. And so consequently then we're not prepared when something happens. And when you're in a hospital room, you know, and they're saying, should we put her on a ventilator? That is not the time to make those decisions. We need to talk about this kind of stuff now. Like what kind of care do you want at the end of life? What would your living will be like? Do you want to be put on a ventilator? Do you want to be put in a home? Do you want to die at the hospital? Do you want to die at home? Um, talk about these things now, you guys, with your families, because uh, if you don't, then in their grief, they're going to have to make those decisions, and it's going to be incredibly painful and difficult. And if you do, then they can say, you know, we were talking about that, and I remember mom saying, this is what she wanted. And, and they're going to able, be able to make those decisions with a lot more confidence. So you also want to think about what do you want your funeral to be like and what do you want your obituary to, to say. And that's some of the things we're going to work on today is walking through how to write your own obituary. Let's look at, y'all have a handout, and let's look at this one that is a short sheet. If you look at that one. This is an obituary, an actual obituary from a paper in California. Because I was a chaplain, we had this network and we send each other things. And this was so incredible, a man sent me this. It's an actual obituary of a woman who did not write her own obituary before she died and did not talk to her children or family about her death or dying. And so this was a consequence. I'm gonna skip the first part where it lists all the survivors. Um, Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak the, for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. 
Her family will remember Dolores and amongst ourselves, we will remember her in our own way, which was mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her and perhaps we will think of those times too, but I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had, a good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she's finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and great-grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. Isn't that devastating? Do you think that's the legacy this woman wanted to live? Uh, so start thinking now about the changes you want to make. It's not too late to reconcile relationships right now. Clean up that emotional clutter that's in your life. It's not too late to ask someone for forgiveness. Dan Mueller said, unforgiveness prevents the growth of faith. It's not too late to restore family relationships. Ask yourself, what do I want my life to look like from this point on? Even if I have messed up in the past, the Lord forgives me and I can, I can ask forgiveness for other people. But from this day forward, what do I want my life to look like? What legacy do I want to leave? What spiritual inheritance am I leaving my family? You know, we're building our eulogy now, not our resume, right? Usually we don't read about career successes that much in obituaries. We read about what the person meant to, to others, what kind of relationship they had, what kindnesses they showed. The goal is not a good death. The goal is living a good life to the end right? So Steve Jobs, even though he was an iPhone inventor and a high-tech, you know, very famous person, they say that at his funeral, his sister gave the eulogy, and she barely mentioned his career, but she did talk a lot about what a great husband he was and brother and dad, and they gave examples of fun things he did with his kids. And that, to them, was who he was. It wasn't about what he did in his career. So think about this. What is your purpose? Do we know? We need to live with the finish line in mind. Can you imagine going on and running a marathon? And then, you know, all right, come on, everybody. We're not going to tell you where the end line is, but go for it. You know, we couldn't do it. We would waste a lot of time. We would run in circles. We'd run the wrong way. What is your end goal? What do you want to leave for your kids? What do you want your life to say? Think about that now, because that's where we need to be running and heading toward. An obituary is a tribute to a life well lived, hopefully, right? When someone else writes your obituary, it's a declaration of loss, it's an acknowledgement of grief and an, an expression of joy. But when you write your own obituary, it can be a summary of what you wish people to remember. It can be your last hurrah. Your obituary can be a picture of your life as you want 
your kids to remember you as you want your friends to remember you. What, what is it you want people to remember? You can write that down. What was unique about your life? What were some details that you would want to share that maybe nobody else knew that you, you want people to know? What are some of the fun memories? You could put that on there. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think, well, the more you write in the newspaper, the longer your obituary, the more it costs. And that's true. But the good thing about today is we can always say for further, for longer a bit see and we can put a website we can put it on facebook there's several websites i've listed two of them that have a service where um, you can go ahead and write your own obituary you can write your own funeral you can add pictures and none of it will be opened up or started until you die and you assign a manager to go ahead and do that and then you would have done it all yourself i had a cousin that died and she had terminal cancer and we spent weeks before she died and her her brother was a chaplain and she asked me to do the service and I said well why don't you get your brother guy to do it you know and she said because he won't say what I want him to say and she wanted me to share the gospel and so I did the service and a lot of people were mad at me because there were not a lot of believers in our family but if she had written it it would have been different you know, so think about how can we leave our last testimony to people. All right, let's look at, I think it's it going to be on the screen, John. Um, my mom has graciously let us use her obituary as an example. And first of all, I want to show you one that's just a basic obituary that anybody can do. Okay, so it, so it has her name and her parents and where she went to school and her children, her education, and who preceded her in death and who her survivors were, right? Okay, we can go to the next one. And you can do that. Now, let's look at this longer version. Okay, first, the first paragraph, she kind of sh shares with it how she met Jesus, um, she was born, and she tells her parents her father was a barber, and her mother owned a beauty shop in her hometown near the square. She's telling the story of her life. As a small child, Donna walked by herself to the nearest church where she felt a unique love from the people, and she was drawn to Jesus through them. The songs they sang and the stories she heard about Jesus set her life on a life path to know Jesus more deeply. Donna recalled loving the song, Onward Christian Soldiers, when she got afraid as a child, she would sing this song and she would be comforted. And he, she wants her family to know how the Lord comforted her. And now we have a lot of people in our family that are not believers. So she's really wanting her last hurrah to be, it's all about Jesus. So she also wanted to show events that shaped her. So she said Donna grew up in the Depression area of the 1930s and World War II. This shaped her lifelong love of bargain hunting and shopping at garage sales. And this caused a lot of clutter, which we're working on. So <laughs> and the next paragraph is sharing her legacy. She wants to share about the sacrifices of her parents and shared the story about her daughter, who most people may not know about. 
So Clyde, Donna's father, died when she was 19, but her mother supported her to finish college. She attended Texas Women's College and graduated from the University of Texas in Austin. She married the boy who operated the elevator at Sutton Hall at UT. Donna and Hugh McMillan were married September 1952 until 1980. They had four children. The oldest was Elizabeth Ann, who passed away at age two. She had beautiful curly blonde hair and a sweet face. Donna's joy in her entering eternity will be to unite with her precious daughter. Their surviving children are Richard McMullen of Hewitt, Kay Toole of Woodway, and Philip McMullen of France. Now this next section is emphasizing a cause she was passionate about. Donna was told the story of the time in her life when she was pregnant with her fourth child, Philip. She was still grieving the loss of Elizabeth and had concerned about the health of her baby arriving. Donna knew the devastation of losing a child and realized that mothers who abort would experience the same lifelong heartache. She found her children to be her greatest joys in her life, and she did not want any mother to experience the loss of a child. So she invested many hours in her future by supporting pro-life movements. Do you see how she's able to show her passion and where it came from and also make a stand for pro-life as her last hurrah? Okay, um, these next paragraphs tell who she was. She was a people person and joyful and full of laughter. Donna's love for her children was a main focus of her life, and her love of Jesus was her priority. In her last season, she had a continually growing hunger and thirst for more of God's word and his presence. She was connected to her church life group friends until even the very end of her life. Donna loved to connect with people. She made friends wherever she was because she saw the value of every person in God's eyes. Her family remembered Donna for, Donna for her fun and contagious laughter. Now, this is a true story. Donna, daughter Kay said that when she was a child and would get separated from mom, her mom in the grocery store, she knew just to stand still and wait a few minutes. And this time, she would usually hear her mom talking and laughing with someone, and Kay could immediately locate her mom. And this is just to show who she was, you know, for her kids, her grandkids, her great-grandkids. In her career, Donna earned her master's in education at Baylor and taught special ed in Waco schools for 24 years and enjoyed her coworkers. She loved and prayed for all of her students and never forgot them. Donna had a tangible grace and mercy for each of her students. So one of her concerns was she wanted her students to know, should any of them read the obituary, that she loved them and that she prayed for them and they were thought of well. Donna lived in a townhome community after retirement, enjoyed the beautiful friendships there. All her life, Donna enjoyed wonderful friendships, including a group of special friends who have met for the last 30 years and they called themselves the Wild Women. In 2013, she had a fall, multiple medical procedures, and then moved in with her daughter and son-in-law for the last years of her life. Because of this, she enjoyed fun family gatherings and watching her children and family grow. Her grandchildren and children will remember her joy and her laughter and her love for Jesus. So she then tells about the survivors. But let's just go down to the bottom. Donna claimed Gretchen Hardy and Zee Wyskowski as her children, too. Now, she wanted to show love for this special couple that is in our lives that she feels like are her children. But if she hadn't put that in the obituary, nobody would have known. And she wants them to know how well-loved they were. 
Donna's greatest desire was that her family and friends would know that they are loved by Jesus and that he provides salvation for us to enter eternity. Her favorite scripture was Ephesians 4.32. She used to say this frequently as a child, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgive one another. This obituary is a picture of her life. Do y'all see the difference? And that's what I want you guys to have. I want your last, I want you to write your own last hurrah. I want you to put in there what you want your kids to remember, what you want your friends to remember. I want to be able to know when I read that obituary who you were, what your passions were, who was important to you, what your faith was to you. So we're going to talk just quickly about funerals, about some decisions. There's a sheet on it, too. There's a, there's some sheets on obituaries. There's some uh, sheets on funerals, and we're kind of trying to wrap up here. But um, when you talk about funerals, you guys really, if you can do it now, your kids won't have to. That's the same with clutter, right, Judy? If you can do it now, your kids won't have to. I, um my grandmother, when I cleaned out her house, it was in the 80s, and she was almost 100. We found 13 homemade ice cream makers in her garage. Because when one would break, she wouldn't want to give it away because she might be able to use a part to fix another one. Apparently, that happened 13 times. So, Okay, so have you guys thought about um, do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? Do you want to donate your organs? Do you want your body donated to medical school or science? These are questions that are a little bit difficult now, but much more difficult if you wait till you're gone and you have to have your kids or your family decide. Even simple things that you can write down. You don't have to plan out your whole funeral but you can write down ideas. And, and I'm saying this, too, because uh, I have two brothers who are not believers. And their ideas and my ideas would be very different. And so we want mom's ideas, not our ideas. And that, that would help us so much. Who would you want to speak at your funeral? Do you want your family members to speak? Who do you want to sing? Do you want anyone to sing? Or do you want worship to happen? Do you want a meal to be served afterwards? You know, do you want scriptures to be read? What scriptures? Do you want the gospel to be shared? Who do you want to share that? Um, do you want certain photos to be shown? Like I said, on these websites, you can go ahead and download photos, even really old photos, and label them so people will know who they are. And then that can be the, the slideshow, you know, that people see. Um, and also, where do you want memorials to be designated? You know, what's your passion? Is it pro-life? Um, where, where is it that you would like people to donate if that's what they want to do? So I want you, I'm going to give you a little bit of time right now to, um, one of the ways to normalize death is to talk about it. And we're going to, um, see, I'm a teacher, and so I'm going to make you do a group project. We're going to talk at our table about uh, either uh, things that you would want on your obituary, things you would not want, things you would want at your funeral, things that you've seen at a funeral that were good, things that you've seen at a funeral that were not good. Um, 
and talk among yourselves just so you start normalizing that. And then I know that we don't have time today, but um, I want you to take these sheets home and I really want you to think about writing your own, own obituary. And um, as Janet said, I think that they have people that are available. If you put your name on the little white cards, they can help you. If, you, if typing it up is a problem, they can come over and do that for you. We don't want that to be the reason it's not done. We want to help you and assist you in any way possible. Um, I'm going to be available for questions. And um, Janet has my number if you have questions later that you think of. But... But this is, so now I want y'all to just kind of get in your groups and talk about these things we shared.
Somebody just asked me who has been telling them about their clutter in their house. Who's the secret mole that's been telling us? Did anyone have any further questions? First, I want to thank my mom for letting us use her obituary as an example. I hope that blessed you guys. Patty? Oh, okay. Sorry. Because I'm right here. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to cry. Okay, so my question is this. Um, if you notice something in yourself that you know is not right physically, like mentally or whatever, um, what, what, do you, what do you do? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm coming across this thing. I'm going to share my life here. Y'all are, are all going to understand this because I'm only 59 and some of y'all are a little older than me. But I've had a situation where it's like I can tell there's something wrong with my memory. And I'm not dying because my memory has a problem. But, I mean, I had brain surgery like the Potts' daughter in 1999. I've always said my memory was bad because of my surgery. And it was affected, I think. But now, all of a sudden, I can't remember, like, how to do my, not how to do my timesheet, but I had two-step process for my time she did work for MCC and my boss had to call me yesterday and say I don't have your timesheet and it's like if I don't get the timesheet in at nine o'clock I don't get paid and so after she called me I sent in the, the log but I didn't send in the timesheet and so she had to call me back and she's out of town and tell me uh, you need to do your MCC timesheet and I'm like Oh my gosh, you know. So anyway, I, I think it might have to do with sleep deprivation, but as we age, our bodies change. And, okay, so that really, like, the real question is this. This is for you. You're the counselor. Okay. <laughs> the, okay, so I'm sorry. I knew I had a good question here. I just couldn't get it to where I need to be. My question is this. If you're still married, or if you're married and your spouse is living, obviously your spouse is a person that's going to first see changes. But like my spouse is not a communicator. He's not a problem doesn't like to conflict, and so he would not be very anxious to tell me, you know, you used to always do X, Y, Z. He's not going to know my work stuff. You always used to whatever, I don't know, <laughs> would always do. Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Now you never do it. I mean, that's not it, my family. But I'm just saying, I had to say to him, you're the first person that's going to notice something about me that changes, so please don't hesitate to say, hon, we need to look at this. You know, and it's embarrassing to admit that there could be a deficit that I have to deal with at this age. I don't expect to get dementia or, you know, onset, early onset, you know, whatever. But it's like, I've got to be realistic. If it's affecting my life and my work, obviously I've got to do something. So can you just comment on that? Okay. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, we all need each other. And we can't, some of us don't have spouses or can't depend on what they would say so hopefully you have some close friends that might you can ask hey have you noticed a change because sometimes I've I've always you know forgotten things so it's not any big change and for me but if it's a change for you um, at some point you may want to go to a counselor or a neuropsych person to get testing 
just to make sure if, if you're, everyone's, you know, a lot of people in your life are saying yes, I'm seeing a difference. Yeah. But, you know, and there are, I'm surprised. I'm like, Marion, how did I get here? It went so fast. Um, I see my, my dad has had a stroke, 19 years ago had a stroke, <clears throat> and still thinks that I should be, <clears throat> sorry, 25 years old. So when my kids, my daughters come in, he'll say, Kay, 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 you know, and then I'm thinking, what happened? There was a gap. I'm lost somewhere. But, yeah, we need each other to be accountable. That's where the body comes in. We need to be the body of Christ for each other. In Galatians, it says, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to do that and then do it in love. You know, if, if I'm doing something that's offending you, I'm probably not doing it on purpose. So please tell me because I want to finish my race well. I want to live a good life to the end. So please start keeping that in mind with each other, out of love. And you can make it a funny thing. Say, hey, out of love, I got something to tell you. You know, Jib and I can, can tease with each other and tell each other, hey, out of love, you got some spinach in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, Patty. Anybody else? VA benefits, veteran spouses. If you have a veteran, uh, they're real good about telling you the funeral costs, and you can go to the funeral directors too. And I want to encourage you guys, you don't have to have a regular funeral. You don't have to do it the way everybody else does it, unless that's what you want to do. You know, you can have a service somewhere else, out in the park or at a special place for you. You can do things differently than, than other people. I was telling this table over here, there's... I mean, my college students love this. There's all sorts of ways. You can ha be cremated and have your ashes turned into fireworks and then just have a firework display. <laughs> you know, you can be cremated and have your ashes turned into a diamond so somebody can wear it. You can be cremated and have it turned into a coral reef if the ocean was important to you. You wouldn't believe the options out there, you know, that you could have done.
He said, we have a big God, and we don't have to worry about all the details. Think about all those soldiers that are dead in the ocean. And, um, you know, our God is a big God. So the, the point is to have it uh, a service that's you, that's your personality, that will bless your family. Um, someone was asking me, was that obituary of the woman whose family didn't like her real? Yes, it was real. I mean, you can think about really feeling that way about someone in your family, but then to actually go pay for an obituary so it's printed, that's a lot of inner healing that needs to be done in that family. And how sad. Anybody else? Okay, well, I expect to have a lot of things donated to Love on Locals and First Baptist Church, and I think my mom wants to say something. Okay, she, she said she wor we worked together on the obituary and we had a lot of fun. That's another thing, you guys, to normalize. You can have humor about all this. You can have fun in it. God created us with humor. It's to be used to help deal with grief and dying and death issues. So, you know, please don't think this is a serious topic. You, you use all that God gives you to deal with that. Yeah. So Judy, she she said you mentioned getting things appraised. Where do you have things appraised? That's Judy's question. Oh, okay. That's her question too, Judy. Go, go online. There's antique dealers that have websites, and they'll give you an appraisal. You need to take a picture of it and send to them. Jewelers, Jewelers will give you appraisals. Depends on what it is. Show quilts, quilt shops in town. You can call Judy, too. A local appraisal? Don't go to a pawn shop, Reuben said. Does anyone know a local appraiser? What, is that your question? Do you? Reputable local appraiser. Oh. Okay, Judy, reputable. Uh huh. That's a great idea. A coin club in Waco, and they can refer you to somebody. 
Anybody else? Okay, we're going to let Janet end us. Don't you appreciate Kay? So one of my final comments is don't, um, don't put off the inevitable. And as, you, as we are all aging, let's look ahead and think, do you want to live near a child, one of your children, when you become elderly? Do you want to live with the child? Do you want to be in an assisted care place? Do you want to be in a different kind of health care place? I've, I've sat with a number of our more elderly senior adults, and they haven't thought it through. And one in particular waited too late to think it through. And she said to me, I would have lived where my daughter is, but now it's too late. I can't deal with my things. I can't travel across the country. It's too late for me to move somewhere else. And so let's not just put things off indefinitely and let's recognize I need to make a plan. We've, we've made a plan with my mother. When she gets to where she's bedridden and cannot live alone anymore, she will move in with my youngest sister who is going to build a house with an extra large master room just for her. So we've already thought, it, she's already looked at the plans. She's already told my brother-in-law that closet space, I don't know if that's big enough, <laughs> you know. So, you know, and we, we've talked about it, and, and we need, it's, it's comfortable to talk about these things. My mother's not only planned her obituary and written that and planned out her funeral, she's already decided what all of us are going to eat after the funeral. <laughs> she told me she's going to send the recipe up here to the church. I said, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> we don't have a cook at the church that's going to deal with that. So um, make your final plans while you can decide for yourself. Because that's another thing we've just walked through in the last number of months is one of our seniors waited too long. Her memory slipped so quickly she couldn't make decisions for herself. And then a few church people needed to. Her son needed to come here and he needed to. And it was not comfortable because she just waited too long. And some of the dementias now are very aggressive. So if you start noticing that you're forgetting or you're slipping or whatever, don't just ignore it. You want to face it, rise up to it, and make the right decisions. So Donna Sams has told me that the design house that Judy Payne mentioned is at a new location. It's no longer at Saronia. It's on 4th Street. So you'll want to look that up before you make a trip looking for the design house. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, please pick up anything over here that is still there and you, you need to take home with you to clutter your house. And uh, we love you all. We're all in this together. Everyone has said that through COVID, right? We're all in this together. And in this kind of thing, we are too. So we want to live well. We want to die well. We want to stand before the throne and have given it all away. Not just practical, physical things. Give away all the riches of your experiences, your walk with the Lord, your depth in the Lord, the wisdom God has given you. Give that away. Make disciples. Invest in younger people. That's all part of our focus here at Highland right now, too. So, Reuben, would you close us off in prayer? Oh, and as he stands up, let me just thank some people. All of you who came early and helped early, we Patty Blake did the centerpieces. Her husband also helped. 
Uh, he's not here anymore, but he also helped with that. John Jacobs has been working our sound back here, and Donna Jacobs wrote that out, that Reuven read. And she was here earlier helping with the snacks. And Judy for sharing, and Marion for sharing, and Peter and Elvira for getting here early and checking people in, and Kathy doing name tags. Everyone that did anything, thank you, everybody. It was a team effort, and we're all part of the family. So thank you. Thank you for helping make it happen. Everything that happens at Highland is a team effort. Reuven, pray for us, brother. so grateful that we were born. And Lord, a day is going to come when we will cease life in this world and really step into the eternal life that Jesus purchased. God, we're just already grateful for life eternal. And this is such a small slice. 70, 80, 90, 100 years. That's so tiny compared to so, Lord, we want to live well. We want to live prepared. We want to do all that we can, this side of heaven, to be ready. And all that we heard this morning, Lord, is to, is to help us, to inspire us. Lord, some of us need a push. And, and Holy Spirit, you're our helper to both lead us and guide us and take us by the hand and sometimes even give us a little push. But we pray that this whole journey of life, and especially in our fourth quarter, Lord, most of us in this room are in the fourth quarter of this life. And Lord, without or even knowing it, some of us might even be in the, in the final two minutes. We never know. We never know. But we pray that we take these things, look at these papers, finish this life well, so that we can to the next life ready. Bless each one of us now the rest of this wonderful Sabbath day into tomorrow. And Lord, we're going to give you thanks that we've had the leading and the nudge to move forward in all that we've heard. Grant us that grace.